0: the yeshiva.net.
1: By reading two letters that I received from two people, many, many letters concerning the same topic, but I just chose two, which I think highlight the question and the dilemma that we want to address this evening, Bezer Hashem. Question number, letter number one, dear Rabbi Jacobson. I feel extremely, extremely angry at God. I am furious. I am burning from ire and anger and the questions after. And the more anger I feel, the more guilty I feel, which makes me even more angry that I feel so guilty about my anger. So I get more angry, and then I get more guilty. I really don't know how to deal with it. I had a very painful life, I had very many painful experiences in my life. I am a sensitive person, I observe a lot of pain around me, and I'm simply full of questions, I'm annoyed, I'm frustrated, and I'm angry. They teach me that God controls the world, so I'm angry at him. That's an excerpt of one letter. The person writes a lot of experiences, but I'm not going to get into it, I'm just getting to the crux of the letter. Another person writes and says... I've heard previous classes of yours in the Amuna series, one of the themes you have conveyed is that a person could feel comfortable to share all of their emotions with God. In my opinion, from what I understand, this is a chutzpah approach. I don't think it's rooted in Judaism. I'm wondering if you really have sources to what you're saying, or it's just pop psychology that you call Judaism. The Judaism that I was educated with was taught, you don't share negative emotions. Who are you even to share negative emotions? You don't ask any questions. You accept things with perfect faith. That is Yiddishkeit. Other opinions are heresy, apicursis, and kfira. Do you think you could defend yourself? (laughs) I don't know. I mean... I'll try to convey what I think is an authentic Jewish approach, but the people are going to have to judge. I may be a little negev, but a little bias. This is a theme that comes up again and again, both in conversation, in letters, in emails, in classes, and when you communicate one-to-one, face-to-face, heart-to-heart, with so many people from different communities, different persuasions, different backgrounds, But this is a common thread and a common question. Now, apparently, the writer of the second letter seems to be 100% correct. Why? As he did, actually, in his communication. He quoted a Gemara, and the Gemara is not once. The Gemara is mentioned in three places. In Tainis, Dav uh, Chafhei, Megillah, Dav Chafbeis, and Sukkah. Daf nun gimel. And it's a story about one of the great Talmudic sages, one of the Amirayim, whose name was Levi. And I'll share with you the story. I'm sure some are familiar, but I'll share it the way it's recorded in Maseches Tainis, Talmud tractate Tainis, page 25a. As I sometimes say, I translate things into English, not because I suspect some of you don't understand the original, but because sometimes people don't understand the original, even though it's not you. So the Talmud says that Levi gazer ta'anisa. He decreed a fast. He decreed a fast because there was no rain. mitra, And the fast was ineffective. The rain did not come down. So he spoke to Hashem and he said, You went up to the heavens. You made yourself comfortable in the heavens. And you have no compassion for your children zag de gamara asamitra it started to rain but vi itla he also started to limp amara said la'ila mal yatiakh adam dwarm klap in a person should not hurl yatiyach. rashi says is from the expression kimtakhave keshes and parshas <laughs> kimtakhave one should not cast one should not hurl Words, negative, harsh words, klapi myla against God. A great man, not a small man. A great man, Umanu Levi, none other than Levi himself, hurled, he threw, he cast these audacious, aggressive, pompous, or very harsh complaints to God. v'itla, and he ended up limping. He became a chiger. And the Gemara asks, isn't it true that the reason he started to limp was because of an ill attempt at an extraordinary, acrobatic gesture? And the Gemara says, vi kamei rabbi The way he prostrated himself all the way, he had his head touching the ground without the rest of the body, it was a truly flexible, powerful move, and it maimed him? So the Gemara hava ha Both elements ultimately caused it. And from here, from these three Gemaras, Tainus, Megillah, and sukkah the end of Sukkan and Gimel, comes this idea that a person, Rabbi Lazar says, a person should not be Metiah dvarim klapi One speaks to God with a sense of respect, an appreciation for the remoteness, for the distance, for the infinity, One doesn't just come and say, oh, you're in heaven, you couldn't care, you couldn't care less about us. Another famous source that most Jewish children grow up with is Moshe Rabbeinu, at the end of Parsha Shmois, screams out and says, Why have you afflicted this nation with so much evil since I came to Parai? The situation deteriorated, you didn't save the people. And Hashem responds in the next week, va'era, Bar'sha's va'era, and says, I appeared to the others I made them a promise, and now I'm going to fulfill the promise. And Rashi explains from the Medrash that Hashem basically told them, Chaval al-diabdin v'loh Woe unto those who are gone, and I can't find them anymore, because the Ovis, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, had plenty of problems and challenges, but they never questioned me. And you, when I send you on this mission and it's not working out, you're questioning me. They did not question my emotions. There's a Pesach in Caheles, in Ecclesiastes, Peric hey, chapter 5 of Caheles, Shloy Ma'amelech says, Al tevahel Don't be so impulsive with your mouth. It's a good suggestion for anybody. V'libcha al-yema'er al-tevayel al-picha V'libcha al-yema'er lo-hoitzi dover lefnei al-ehim Ki al-ehim ba-shamayim Ve'ata ma'atim Nothing like a pasuk in Tanakh And don't allow your heart to impetuously Speak words in front of God Because Hashem is in heaven And you're on earth Let your words be few now he doesn't ask, he doesn't tell us what What shouldn't you talk about? What shouldn't you rush to express in front of God? I mean, should you... Davening seems pretty long. So there's different interpretations. Rashi's interpretation is when you're speaking harshly, when you're speaking negatively, when you're speaking angrily, when you have all these questions and things you feel you don't agree with, he says, be careful with your words, he is above, and you are below. So I just quoted you sources. I could quote more sources to support my dear friend who wrote me this email, not anonymously. And there's more sources I can quote, but I think this suffices. It gives a fear display of a genuine Jewish approach, a Torah approach, a Pasek, a Gemara, a Rashi, a Medrash, Adam Dvarim, Clape myla, how you express emotions, how you talk to God. But let's come and see that as in all of these issues we're dealing with extremely sensitive and profound dimensions of Judaism. And whenever you're dealing with these aspects of life that touch on the rawest parts of human experience, pain, grief, hurt, loss, tragedy, etc., the conversation always has to be more nuanced, more detailed. And you don't have to look far. Often when we learn things, we don't focus on who said it, but it's important when you learn a Medrash, you learn a Gemara, whatever you learn, to see who said it. Because when you develop a more of a bird's-eye view on Judaism, you suddenly start comparing statements said by one person. The same Rebbe Lazar, who in Sukkah, Tainis, Megillah, learns from Levi how not to speak to God, the same man, same Rebbe Lazar, comes to Brachas, Lamed Aleph, Mesech Brachus, page 31 and 32. Amar Rebbe Lazar, Rebbe Lazar said, Chana hiticha dvarim klapi mila. Chana, the mother of Shmuel Hanavi, who was equivalent to Moshe and Aaron, spoke very harshly to Hashem. She didn't dive to God; she davened on top of God. What does that mean? What does Hashem? mean? Meaning, she spoke very, very intensely. She hurled powerful words to Hashem. Gemara goes through a whole list of things she did. One of the things, for example, she told them is everything you created in a person's body has a purpose we have ear. I have ears, I can use them, I have eyes, I can use them, I have hands, I can use them, I have legs I can use them there's one part you created in me, and you don't allow me to use them they're useless. the breast, the dadim because I don't have a baby and other things she said said clap." <laughs> Eliyahu a larger, the prophet, spoke harshly to heaven. Shenemar in Aleph, Perik Yudches, Kings 1.18, he tells Hashem, You're the one who turned the heart of the Jewish people backward. You're the one who did it. said, Hashem admitted, he acquiesced, he consented to Eliyahu, because he says to a later prophet, Micha. I'm guilty. I'm the one who put the bad into them. He agreed with Eliyahu Hanavi. Moshe spoke harshly. The Aleph and the Ayin become exchanged. He also spoke pretty intensely. here too, Hashem was moida. he acquiesced to his words, here I gave them a lot of silver and gold and they used it for the idol. It was as a result of what I have given them. Sometimes you give something to a person and basically he almost has no choice or it's at least extremely, extremely, excruciatingly difficult to resist the temptation. Same Balazar. Is Rebelaza criticizing Chana and Elio and Moshe, but he says God agreed with them? And he's the same person. Isn't it fascinating? Certainly Belazar spent time dealing with this. So how do we, how do we appreciate an authentic Jewish perspective? Now, this is a big sugya, and it's very hard to exhaust, it's impossible to exhaust it and cover it in one class, which is relatively short, but at least we can begin the journey and explore at least one dimension. It's not the only dimension, there's more layers and more aspects and more perspectives, but at least we can explore one dimension of this discussion. And whenever you want to understand what does Yiddish Guide really have to say about this, there's a Sefer of Tanakh, one of the 24 books of the Tanakh, or what's called in English the Hebrew Bible, is a Sefer that is dedicated to the question of theodicy. Theodicy is the fancy word that professors like using, so people should think it sounds sophisticated. But really, what it means is why do bad things happen to good people? Theodicy. And there's a whole Sefer dedicated for this, what is it, 42 chapters, I think, around 42 chapters, the book of Eoif, the book of Job. Now, I suspect that many people sitting here never read through Sefer Eoith. Jews don't read Tanakh. It's one of the travesties of our generation. I speak lahavdil to Christians, and they know the Bible backwards and forwards. When I spoke to the Pentagon, for the Pentagon, for the chief of chaplains of the U.S., thousands of chaplains, there were maybe eight Jews in the audience, and thousands of Catholics, Baptists, Protestants, Mormons, etc. I started a POSIC, and they finished it. Genesis 40! And I'm like, yeah, Rabbi, hallelujah! Right, Micah too, and they're, yeah, they're, they're already smiling before I started the Pasuk If I do it here, it's like, what? <laughs> Micah? Michahu. Okay, so that's an issue that Jews somehow, I don't know why we, we, we neglected the Tanakh. But there's a whole Sefer called Eiv. It's an extraordinary, not that a Tanakh Sefer needs my Haskama, but it's an extraordinary work on any level. First of all, the language, the prose, the story, the depth, the drama, the beginning, the middle, the end. It's an extraordinary an extraordinary saga, and it captures the depth of the human suffering throughout history. Just its opening words of the Sefer of the Book of Job is, Ish, Hoya, Be'eretz, Utz, Iyayv, Shmai. There's a man in the land of Utz, and his name is Iyoy v'hoi tam v'yoshar v'yireya l'kim The Tanakh testifies the man was innocent, upright, God-fearing, and stayed away from all evil and negativity. He has ten children, seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 pairs of oxen, 500 donkeys... He is extremely successful, wealthy, prosperous, and happy. And his entire life is simply a a piece of beauty, a piece of blessing. And then everything is transformed. Everything goes downward. His entire mazel turns over and he loses everything. He is left without anything. He and his wife, each one of his ten children, dies. And what's his response? I came out of the womb of my mother naked, without anything. And that's how I returned there. There's nothing left. I go back to the grave the way I came into the world. Without anybody, without anything. God gave, God took. He's the one who gave it. He took it back. Let his name be blessed. And you know, the expression Yehishem Hashem Mevoirech Yehishem Hashem Mevoirech is not a common expression in Tanakh. Where else is it found? Anybody remembers? Ah, In Hallow. In Hallow. It's not like people think it's a Yehishem Hashem It's in Hallow. And Eov says it right here. But that's for a separate Sheer. What's the connection? Is Halal talking about Eoiv or not? But that's not for now. If this is not enough, he becomes filled with Shin. His whole body is now covered with boils. He sits in ashes. His wife, who can't deal with the pain, tells him, Borech has Hashem curse the Reboi nishaloylam and just die. Do the sin of blasphemy and die. And Eoiv responds to his wife and says, how does a woman like you? How does my wife speak like this? This is not the this is not the person you are. Hatoyv nekabel v'ara When God gives good, we accept it and we say, Ah, it's great. And when He gives bad, we don't accept it. Loichata bisvassaf. He would not sin with his lips. And here the story moves on. He has three friends. Iyov has three good friends: Eliphaz, Bildad, and Soifar. And they all come to visit him. To visit the bereaved, to do what we call Necham Avelim, to comfort him and visit him. And almost for the next 40 chapters is an argument between Eiv and the three friends. And the point of the argument is they maintain that he must have sinned to deserve his fate. His first friend, Alifaz, opens up with the words, Can you remember that a pure person perished? Did you ever hear that an upright person was obliterated? It never happens. The sinful are obliterated. The sinful perish. And EOEV maintains that he is an innocent man. He's an ishtam. He's a pure and innocent man. The conversation becomes heated, passionate, and what we would call insulting. They claim that EOEV shouldn't be an ibachachem, he should look into himself and find his iniquity. And Eoiv maintains the fact that he's pure from guilt. I want to quote to you a few words which will become very relevant. I think it's in chapter 13 yeah, in of Eoiv. Eoiv responds to his friend and he says, I have already seen everything. I have what we would call a lot of life experience. I've seen everything. I heard everything. What you know, I also know. I'm not inferior to you. I can give the same speeches that you give about God and justice and sin. I am as smart as you. I am as experienced as you. But let me tell you the difference between you and I. Ulamani el The really difference is I actually talk to God and I want to have a debate with him. I want to have a debate. I want to give toicha. I want to rebuke him. I want to have an argument with God. You know what you are? You're concoctors of lies. Is there such a word? You are concoctors of lies. You know concoctors meant? Ah. Uh, uh, you're a bunch of worthless healers like pagan healers who tell you they're going to heal you you ever go to somebody who has the cure for everything yeah takes the check on the Yeah, they say that there was a jew he had terrible arthritis and finally he went to the biggest expert in new york and the guy says it's no problem no problem but it's a $10,000 ten thousand $10, dollar cost for a treatment, but my treatment is equivalent to other treatments for years. Good, he gives him a $10,000 check, no problem. Three weeks later, the doctor calls him screaming. You're a gunner, you're a liar, you're a thief. The check came back. He says, good, so did the arthritis. So he says, you're a bunch of worthless healers. And then priceless words that some of us want to repeat. If only you would be silent, you can appear as wise people. If you would at least be silent, we would mistake you as having some chachma. Listen to what I have to say. Do you think you could talk to God lies? and talk to God deceitfully, you think you're going to flatter his face, you're going to become the defenders of God, you think it will be good if he searches out what's happening inside of you, you mock God, you make jokes of him, like people make jokes of people, that's how you make jokes of him, Concoctors of falsehood, Worthless healers. If you would be silent, wisdom would be added to the world. It's interesting. He's blaming God. They're defending God. He calls them a bunch of liars and flatterers. This is the safer of Eif. And basically they go on, they go on. They don't stop. This is chapter 13. This goes on till almost till chapter uh, till, till chapter 38, till Lamed Ches they're telling him, Eoiv, you're a smart guy, you're a cute guy, but the righteous one in the world is God. Don't tell us that he did something unjust. And if he could speak to you, he would explain to you why he is right. At one point, Eoiv tells them these words, When I watch you, I see the death of wisdom. The Ralbag says, because you deny reality. And basically he's telling them what we would say today, How do you say that in English? Are there dreik cups in English? Could be it's just a Yiddish reality. I don't know if there's dreik cups in English. You're draining a cup, and if this is wisdom, if this is just, wisdom is dead. At some point, Iyav says, I'm a good speaker just as you, and if I would be in your place, I can give the same speeches. And so this goes on and on for dozens of chapters in Iyav in the most eloquent language, of course, in the rich Lashen Kodesh of Sefer Iyav, between Iyav and his three friends, Alifaz, Bildad, and Seifer. Then comes a fourth friend, Eliu, who's younger, and he actually shows empathy to Iyav. He tells Iyav, God is just, but only after showing him tremendous empathy. And then, after all this, we want to know what's the end of the story. Chapter 38, I think it's Lamed Ches. God speaks up. We waited 37 chapters to hear people killing each other with their words. And finally, Hashem speaks up in Pedeq Lamed Ches, and he speaks to Iyav from the storm. And he starts addressing Eif. But, he doesn't answer his question. What he tells Iyayv is basically two chapters of more questions. Lamet Lamedtes, Mem, Mem, Aleph. Almost four or five chapters of more questions. One of the proofs that God is Jewish. You don't answer a question. You just add more questions. And these questions are profound. He basically takes Eyev on a journey. A journey through astronomy through cosmology, through botany, through zoology, and through nature. He starts off, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And he goes through hundreds of phenomena daily in nature, from the lightning to the dew, from rain to snow, from thunders to the birth of animals, to what's happening in the oceans, Where were you, Eiv, when all this happened? Are you the one who helps me help the mother gazelle give birth or feed the hungry baby raven, etc.? But then comes the bombshell. In chapter 42, when God is finished with his dramatic presentation, he speaks up to Eiv, and here I read the passage to you, Perik membeis pasuk Zion. Ezer Hashem will post uh, the, on the yeshiva.net, on the video. We'll post all the sources so you could see them inside for yourself. So afterwards, you go to the yeshiva.net and you'll have the class with all the sort with the source sheet. Hashem says, the pasuk says vayi achar di ber adinoy esadvarim ael aleiyo vayomer adinoy alalifas <laughs> hatemoni chora api becho v'shnei reyecha kiloy dibartem elay nechoy nekav di After God speaks to Eif, and his main message to Eif is, you know nothing about this world. Hashem speaks to Eliphaz, his friend. And he says, I am burning mad at you and your two buddies, your two friends. You did not speak Nechayna. You did not speak correct like my servant Eif. And now you should take seven axe, re- seven bulls, seven rams. Go to my servant Iyav. Let him bring an offering on your behalf. Let my servant, third time, my servant, Iyav, let him pray for you. Him I will listen to. Not to do something negative with you. If we didn't get the message yet. Because you did not speak correctly to me like my servant Eiv. And you say one second, Reboi no was is the one who claimed you were wrong. They were defending you. They didn't stop defending you. The three friends told Eiv, don't be arrogant. You're a shaita, you're a Russia, you're questioning the Reboi no And Eiv said, no, I'm innocent. I did not sin. I'm ready to debate God. I'm going to take him to court, he says. I'll take... Hashem speaks to Iyayv. And then suddenly He says to Eliphaz, My servant is Iyayv. You guys? Three times. You need prayer. You need atonement. You need sacrifices. What's going on there? What's Everybody wonders what's going on. So we look in Rashi. We look in Rashi, the greatest commentator of the Tanakh to try to understand. So we're going to learn our Rashi and then we're going to learn Amalbim. Vazakdrashi, Rashi. It's a long Rashi. I'm going to quote a few lines in Rashi. And as I said, I'm going to post Bli Neder, all the sources on the video on the yeshiva.net. Zakht Rashi. Huloi Pashabi. He did not sin against me. He did say in chapter nine, Tamvarashahumachala. He did say that God destroys the innocent and the wicked together. Through the Satan, who is the prosecutor of the world. That's what he said. And if he spoke further in this way, It's, it's because of the depth of pain that this man experienced, that brought these words. But you guys? Peshatem. You're a bunch of sinners. All you did was, you made him guilty. You told him he was wicked. You told him, In chapter 4, Eliphaz told, your fear of God is foolish, meaning you're not a genuine person. You're a fake tzaddik. If you would have been a real tzaddik, you wouldn't have suffered. Your suffering shows that you're a fake tzaddik. You assumed he was wicked in order to justify me at the end you became paralyzed, you became silenced, he defeated you in his arguments, what you should have been doing is comforting him, it's not enough how much he suffered, now he had to suffer from you guys too, you come to visit him and what do you do, you bother him more, you cause him more to suffer, that's your great sin. All you can do is call him wicked when it's not true. He defeated you, and you didn't weren't even there to comfort him. Rashi is usually not so long. Rashi gives us more than a line; it's already unique. Rashi here gives a long interpretation. Eyoif perik membes, pasuk zayin. Everybody could look it up. What is God telling them? You behaved with Achzarius. You know what Achzarius means. Cruelty, but it comes from two words. Achzarius is Achzar. You're only a stranger. You come as a stranger. No empathy, no closeness, no sensitivity. So God says you did not speak as correctly like Eiv. But we're bothered by something. Fine, they did the wrong thing. It's not their business to call them a Russia. They were wrong. They could say we don't understand. But where does Eoiv become Avdi? Where is Eoiv my servant? So now I quote the Malbim. And the Malbim here, listen to his words, the Malbim's words. Again, it's a long Malbim. I'm quoting part of it. We'll we'll, we'll post the whole thing, and the source sheets. Eoiv spoke some negative things with his mouth. He said, God doesn't discriminate. He destroys the innocent. In his heart, he spoke correctly. His heart was really wholesome with God. He was in pain. His friends were exact opposite. In their mouth, they were fighting for God. They were saying he's right. But they didn't believe what they said. Their hearts didn't agree with their mouths. As have told them in chapter 13, you're a bunch of flatterers. You lie to God. You make jokes with him like you make jokes with people. You jest with God. Iyov rebuked them for saying things they don't even believe. The Iker had dibur el Hashem, hu dibur Haleiv, loy dibur hachitzoi nishal haPe. And the main conversation with God is always the conversation in the heart, not what other people hear you saying with your mouth. You hear? verter, there? did Iker had dibur el Hashem, hu dibur Haleiv, loy dibur hachitzoi nishal haPe. God doesn't have to read the websites to know what you're thinking. And here you guys were completely off. Unlike Eoiv, my servant. And he says, you need atonement. You need prayer. You need sacrifices. Now when the Gemara in Baba Basra goes through a whole list, who wrote the Tanakh? Baba Basra, Daf Tesvav. Page 15. Tesvav Who wrote this book? It goes through the whole Tanakh. Who wrote each Sefer? Comes to Eif. and the question is, who wrote Eyoiv, and who was Eiv? When did he live? Ishhaya, there was a man be Eretz Utz. Where's Utz? Where's Utz? How do you get to Utz? Do you take the seventeen? Do you take the two hundred two? Do you take the fifty nine? How do you get to Utz? Where's Utz? So the Gemara goes through a bunch of opinions. One, he was in the early times of history, all the way to Achashverosh. We have Eyoiv in the times of Moshe in Egypt. We have him as one of the advisors of Parai in the Saita, where is it Dafir Aleph, Amur Aleph? And we have Eoyv placed in the times of Akashvarish, which is Second Temple before the Second Temple era. And then we have the opinion of Rava. Eyiv Loyhaya nivra. Eyiv never happened. Ella hoya. Eoiv is a parable. It's a metaphor. Asks Rashi, what is it a metaphor for? So Rashi says in Bababasra Tasvav, Mashalhaya. Lilmaid me hadin. is a lesson to people who attack the attribute of judgment, who lose faith because of suffering. And Eoyv teaches one more lesson. Adam Don't grab a person because of their pain. A person should not be trapped because of pain. Ain Adam, the whole Eoiv was written according to Rashi, according to this view, not because it happened, to teach people a principle, which the Gemara says about about how pain works. First of all, to understand the philosophy, but also to understand the psychology. First explanation is philosophy, theodicy, and then is psychology. Ein Odam, B'Sha'as, As Rabbi Nugershim says, now, I want to explain, delve into this for a few moments. Not before I quote a lovely commentary by the Ben Yehoiada. A commentary on Gemara written by the Ben Yishchai, Rabbeinu Yosef Chaim, the rabbi of Baghdad who passed away in 1900. Soita Ches memches amedbeiz, the end of Soita. The Gemara says, Kol pas if somebody has bread in his basket and all he says is what am I going to eat tomorrow? he has little faith ask the Ben Yehoyada why if he has bread in his basket even if he doesn't have bread in his basket he should have trust in God and he shouldn't worry what am I going to eat tomorrow the Ben Yehoyada says if he doesn't have bread in his basket, he's a hungry man. And if he says, what am I going to eat tomorrow? Don't hold him guilty. He's in pain. He's starving. If he has bread in his basket, he's not a hungry man. Here, it's not right for him to say what I'm going to eat tomorrow. What are we learning from this? What do we see from here? What is Rashi conveying? What is the Malbum conveying? What is the Gemara and Baba Basra and the Mepharshim there conveying? God wants people's truth. The friends of Eif were very, very religious, but they were lying. If you are experiencing something inside, not on your lips, he knows. If you say it's not part of your experience, the person, you or I, whoever this person is, is being dishonest. So let's say, let's say, somebody is feeling, I'm going to get very practical and very blunt, a person, for whatever reason, is experiencing anger, is experiencing terrible disappointment, a crisis of of faith, questions, tremendous doubt, a lack of trust, a feeling that I was betrayed. Anybody can relate to any of this? Nobody. Where's Alifas? Alifas, you want to raise your hand? Saifar, Bildad, anybody? <laughs> ah, listening to EYIF. <laughs> yeah. Somebody is feeling this. And he decides he's not going to express it. You're not allowed to express it. So what does he do? What does she do? We're quiet. Or, with our mouth, we say the exact opposite of what we're feeling. Like, it's good. I love you. I love you. I'm crazy about you. I don't feel betrayed. I don't feel like me, anger. Me, <laughs> me. That's what they did. God says, you Ash need a kapara. You Ash need an atonement. He doesn't like it. He knows exactly who you are and what you're feeling. You're actually lying. In Eiv's words, you're flattering God. You think he's a person. You think he's a, you think he's Trump. You think he's a senator, a congressman, a lawyer, a rabbi that you flatter. You think he's your you think he's Yishmael? You think he's somebody? You say nice words and you get on his good side and you get a big piece of Laviyasan and Sherabar. You're flattering him. You're concoctors of falsehood. You're Rafael, You're worthless healers. Why? I'm not being honest with who I am. What happens now? What happens is the emotions that I have don't go away. What do you think happens to them? They get repressed. They're there. They just get repressed. So what happens now? In a very deep place, I have no trust anymore in God. We have no relationship. In my mouth, I may have a relationship, but not internally. And then what happens is, a lot of things I can't even control myself. The person suddenly realizes they become addicted to this, addicted to that. They can't be in control of this. They don't have a spiritual relationship. But what happens if this same person is feeling what they're feeling? And instead of destroying it, and instead of crushing it, and instead of denying it, and instead of making believe it doesn't exist, this person could get up to the Reboi Neshalaylam and tell him exactly what he or she is feeling, whether in a conversation, whether in the middle of davening, whether with a real friend, a good friend, or a mentor, sharing somebody who's not going to judge you and scream at you. He knows what you're feeling. So what happens now? The relationship actually becomes deeper or stronger, because this itself, you're shearing. And then what happens is, slowly, you all of your parts, all parts of your personality, become part of your relationship. You don't have to mutilate yourself. You don't have to cut off any part of you. And then, the relationship is alive, it's dynamic, it breathes, it's authentic. It's not fake, it's not superficial. Real relationships have ups and downs, but the most important thing is, it's real, it's an emotional connection. It's the heart that God wants. Since some of you still don't agree with me, let me quote to you a Gemara in Yerushalmi. Brachos, Zion, Again, I'm going to post this, but I'm just going to say here the point, and I want you to hear the words. Repincha said, Moshe instituted the opening of davening, the title, HaKel HaGadol HaGibar V'Hanoira. God is great, mighty, and awesome. Yirmiya, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, took out the word HaGadol HaGibar. Daniel took out the word HaGibar. He did HaKel HaGadol V'Hanoira. Why? Yermiya saw the destruction of the HaMikdash and he said, I can't call God a Gibor. He sees the destruction of his house and he's silent. I can't call him mighty. Daniel said, I can't call him Noira. His children are in chains. He's not Noira. Asks the Gemara, Powerful question a man of flesh and blood has the power to measure these things? If God is a gibber or not a gibber? If he's strong or not? If he's awesome or not? Because according to your mind, it doesn't look that way? Omer Rabbi Yitzchak ben Loi. The prophets know that their God is true. And they will not do chanifa to him. They will not flatter him with nice verbiage. They know that their God is true. What is the Gemara saying? They couldn't figure out that they don't understand. They couldn't figure out that they don't understand. But they were speaking their truth. The same Gemara is in Bavli Mesechta Yumad Afsamachtes but the punchline there is said a little differently. Because they know that God is true, they will not lie. So Rashi says, what does it mean he's true? He likes truth and he hates lies. If they would say, for them it's a lie. It's Hanifa, it's flattering. I'm saying the right thing because it has to look good. And for them the most important thing in their relationship with God, who is the definition of truth, is truth. What is the Chazal telling us? Some people think that Judaism primarily is about externalities. Lip service. Say the right thing. Look the right way. Everybody should see. You fit in well. It's lip service. And these were Eeyore's friends. Eliphaz. And here I'm going to give you my own title. Who was Eliphaz? Who was Eliphaz? What does it actually say? Ace of Sun. Ace of son. What did he learn from his father? His father came to Yitzchak, he How do you give tithe from salt and straw? He trapped him with his mouth. Now Aliphaz one day had the Shekhinah dwell on him. But he still had the same shtick. He was busy with lip service. E, if you're bad, God is great. That's not Yiddishkeit. What the Malbim, what Eyoiv is telling us here is Yiddish God is about pnimiyus It's about your ultimate truth, your deepest core, rawness, nakedness, authenticity, absolute vulnerability. Eoiv was the man of Emes, the man of truth, and God appreciated that. It wasn't a half-baked relationship, a fake relationship, a camouflage relationship, an inauthentic relationship, repeating like a parrot what other people say. He was fully, fully present, and therefore he had to share what he was feeling and he was experiencing. And then when God reveals himself to Eve and tells him the deeper story, and the deeper story is not a story that explains pain, but it's a story that explains to the human being that he or she is deeply ignorant about the processes of existence about the inner workings of what's happening in the world. Eov concludes, and he turns to Hashem in chapter 42, and he says, I realize today there are things that are wondrous for me, and I don't know them. Till now I heard about you as hearsay. For the first time, I actually experienced tell you. And I rewrite, I re-channel everything. Everything that I experienced. Now, to illustrate this a little bit, allow me, employing the idea that the Rambam writes in Hilchus Tshuva Perik Yud, in the Laws of Repentance, Chapter 10. It's the basis of the entire book of Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs, and hundreds of places in Medrash and Gemara that compare and of course Kabbalah, Chassidus, and Musar, that compare the relationship between the human being and God to the relationship between a wife and a husband. Let me try to illustrate this in a way that I think can teach us both about Judaism and about relationships. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if this fits your life, but raise your hand inside. You already know, Yeah. <laughs> There are couples that when you see them, Alts cook is good. Everything looks good. It looks perfect. To the point that when other couples see them at a bar mitzvah or at a wedding at the Shmoguzbar, the Viennese table, they get jealous. <laughs> Why can't we be so normal? Why can't we be so loving? Why can't we be with a cup? <laughs> Why can't we have such a good relationship? However, and this is a very internal experience, this is not external, thank you very much. Internally, they don't have deep feelings towards each other. The relationship is not alive. It's not vibrant. One of the reasons, not the only, but one of the reasons is because what's missing in this relationship is what you would call in Hebrew, Kenut. Kenut. Okay. Truthfulness, authenticity. Why is there no authenticity? They gave up on truthfulness in this relationship maybe years ago, maybe a year after their wedding, five years after their wedding. She feels he completely doesn't understand her. He misinterprets everything she says. He gets frustrated on things that he completely misconstrues. He, of course, feels that she understands nothing about him, accuses him of being X, Y, and Z, like many women accuse their men of being this and being that. She completely doesn't understand him, his passions, his dreams, his souls. And therefore, they do everything right. They're good people. When he has to take out the garbage, he takes out the garbage. When he has to pick up her mother from the airport, he picks up her mother from the airport. When he has to bring home for Shabbos, he brings home for Shabbos. He fulfills the obligations of the Ksuva. He's a fine man. He's not a Rosh HaMirusha. He's not an Achzer. He's not a manipulator. He's not an abuser. He does what he has to do. She does what she has to do. But the heart is Nishta. There's no heart. Why? Because there's pain in the relationship. And what happens is you have a boo-boo, a wound, and a scab grows over the wound. And in in this case, you put another bandit, and another bandit, and another bandit, and you move on. But the wound remains. And the wound that remains deep inside the heart creates internal alienation. Just as it's true between a wife and a husband, when their authentic emotions are not expressed, the relationship is functional, but it's not alive, this is exactly how Judaism looks. For so many of us, we do everything in the k'suvah. Shachris, mincha, ma'ariv. You show up. You keep Shabbos. You don't eat chametz on Pesach. You eat the kazayis matzah. Not only the sheir of Reb Chaim, no, but even the chazanish. Kadei Achilles pras, not the chasam soifer, but even the shortest Achilles pras to the point you almost died. Whoops! Yeah, you drink uh, out. sphere soyma, you don't miss, and it's great and it's awesome. Soiv dovra nishma. We do everything, or many of us do everything. You put on tefillin just like people wake up in the morning. They brush their teeth. You wake up in the morning. You say brachas. You put on tzitzis. You put on tefillin, but the heart is not there. There's no relationship. When you talk about a person, you say there was a Seder, now there was Pesach. Did you experience a relationship with God? And he wants to know, what are you taking? What are you smoking? Relationship with God. Experiential emotions. What does this mean? But if the, one of the main objectives of Yiddishkeit is to connect our, um, to connect your amazing heart with God, And when the heart goes to sleep, it becomes a robotic and mechanical relationship. And there's no human being present. There's no deep soul. There's no deep mind. Why is it? Go back to the marriage. Many of us have a deep fear to express our pain to God. We were told many times, He's right. You're wrong. Just like your wife. (laughs) She's right. You're wrong. That's the way it's supposed to be. Or just like your husband thinks about himself. You saw the difference? What are you, an arrogant person? And you're going to get even more punished if you share these negative emotions. So now, if somebody says, I cannot tell my wife how I'm really feeling. You know why? You know what's going to happen? She'll just get upset at me. There won't be dinner. She won't talk to me for two days. It's going to be a fight in the house. I don't need it. Or she says, I can't tell him how I'm feeling. What does such a marriage look like? What do you think it looks like? They always say perfect things. It's beautiful, no? Amazing. It's dead. There's nothing happening. It's amazing. Of course, it's better than abuse, Khalila. Of course, much better. Better than abuse, or violence, or danger, or lack of safety, but in terms of a relationship, you could call the Hevrakadisha. They once asked a woman, How is your marriage? He said, Before I was married, I was incomplete. Now I'm married and I'm finished. <laughs> it's finished. You could call them iskadash. What do you mean it's beautiful? He said, I only say nice things to my wife. Really? What if you have a horribly stressed day? I don't have stress days. You know when your wife asks you, how was your day? You look stressed. Me? Never. And then he blows up on his kids. If you're a saint who never has negative emotions, awesome, but you're not. You're lying. You're lying to yourself. A major part of you is not in this relationship. It can't be. It had to be buried. You relate to your spouse only in your most external level. That's exactly what happens to God. If you can't connect to a person authentically, a person who's visible, a person who's in your life, you think you could connect to an invisible God authentically? doesn't work that way. To the whole world you lie, and suddenly in shul, you're an open person? It's impossible. If you shut the faucet, if you shut the water in the boiler room, no water comes out. Not dirty water and not clean water. If you open the water, there'll be dirty water, but there'll also be clean water that comes out. What happens if a husband or a wife talks to the other person and says, this is what I'm feeling. I'm I'm dealing with a lot of pain, a lot of stress, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. You know, I'm really annoyed. And I have to be honest, when you say this and this, it triggers such profound negativity in me. What do you think happens to such a relationship? It flourishes. Why? He is fully alive. He's fully present. If my heart is not there 100%, it's there 50%, 20%, 8%, 1.5%, the connection is choked. Now, you have to know how to share emotions without hurting the other person. Which means, it's not a therapy session, but I'm just going to say this, don't. Con- maybe it is, don't confuse your emotions with reality. So for example, I know a guy, his wife used to squeeze lemon and salt on every food. She loves lemon, she loves salt. It drove him crazy. Right? So there's two ways of saying it. One is... He's an Israeli, so we'll do it the Israeli style. Takshivi mit tumtemet. At ole li ala atzabim. Kvar amarti lecha alfei pahamim melach. Ma baia shelcha? At mashugaal le gam yatsvecha p'sicholog v'dufuot, v'tipulim. ken, ech ken af is Why are you such a crazy, sick, disgusting, horrible, narcissistic, self-centered person? I told you a thousand times not to put salt. Either you need medication, you need to be hospitalized, or we should get divorced. Oh, he shared his emotions. Actually, he didn't share his emotions. It's not true. He decided his wife is a crazy person. He found his emotions. But he could do something else. He could say, listen, my dear soul. (laughs) I want to share with you my feelings. I'm feeling, I am feeling an experience of anger. And I'll tell you my experience. Because I asked you many times not to add salt, when you do it, the way I interpret it is that you really don't care about me. And I feel humbled. And it almost brings me back to how I felt in first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, when I got smacked up and when I asked a question, they told me it's for the Manashtana. And when they told me they're going to give me such a smack, I'll be able to do Kiddush Lavana on the moon in the Chokken and Zendish And it really brings me back to that space. Nobody respects me. No one looks at me. Nobody cares about how I feel. And it's very, very hurtful. I don't know what's happening in reality. I don't know if you want to humble me and you, and you want to crush me and you don't care about me. I'm just telling you what I'm experiencing, what it does for me. I don't want to feel this way towards you. You're my wife. I want to feel happy, I want to feel wholesome, I want to feel trust, I want to feel loyalty. You see the difference? After the second conversation, this relationship is elevated to a completely different level. When you speak about your own emotions without judging the other person, and telling them who they are, and how sick they are, and how horrible they are, you allow them to simply see it from your perspective and they could reflect on it and they can react without being defensive, without being accused. You also show them that you give them trust. You give them the benefit of the doubt and they could describe to you what they're experiencing. Sometimes one such exchange can literally erase anger and mistrust of years. I'm going to tell you a little... uh, story that somebody shared with me it's, uh, it's a small story but it's so telling okay? this fellow told me he went to a wedding to, from Muncie, they went to Montreal for a wedding it's a long drive and he went with his wife to the wedding and he was starving, they didn't need anything on the way and they come to the wedding they're sitting at the wedding and they serve the chicken and when he sees the chicken, he's very excited because he's been starving all day, like some of you got very excited when you saw the chicken in the back of the room. But he was even more excited because you waited a few minutes ago and he did not. I don't mean you, I mean Adam, you know, the, the concept, yeah. As he sits down and he picks up his fork and knife, you know that feeling? And he's about to make a bracha and as they say in America, dig in. His wife, standing by the door, goes like this. And it's one of those that you know It's a matzav of Yehorig if al-Yavr. Meaning, you got to come right now, it's urgent. So he gets up. What happened was, she found a Shatkin. They were looking for a shidduch for a child for quite a while. And she thought this would be a very important conversation with the shatchan, with the matchmaker about their child. So they had a conversation with the shatchan for a half an hour. When he came back to his table, the chicken was gone. There was no chicken. He asked for the piece of chicken, but the caterer got upset, as is usually the case. Who do you think you are? And two minutes later, his wife says, we got to go right now, because the babysitter is leaving six in the morning the house, and there's babies in the house, and we have to drive back all night, so we have to leave right now. They get into the car to drive back to Montreal. He is furious at his wife. But he's not ready to tell himself why he's furious. He, of course, in his mind, has every saintly reason why he's angry at his wife. His wife, of course, doesn't know why he's angry, so she's trying to make conversation to have a long trip back. What do you do in the car? It's before my CDs were available. <laughs> Which is not always, for Shalom Bay is the best thing. You should be talking to her, not listening to me for five hours. So, she's making conversation and he's really, really abrupt and really, really angry. And finally, he starts talking to himself. He's a self-aware man with a, with a small ego. And he asks her, why am I angry at my wife? What did she do? She didn't insult. She wasn't obnoxious. What did she do? She wanted a shidduch for our child. What did she do? Ah, the chicken. It's basically the chicken. And he admitted to himself, that he's furious because he's also dying for a piece of chicken. And because of her, he lost a piece of chicken. And as a result of that, he's going home starving. So it's like Yom Kippur. Yoim day and night without eating. And his wife is the outlet because she ultimately caused it. And as he told me, the shidduch never even happened. So it was a wasted conversation, if anybody's interested. And, uh, and he was furious. And when he came to terms with it and he told his wife, I'm feeling a lot of anger towards you because of the chicken. There's a piece of chicken that I'm, just, I'm still thinking about that chicken. And you caused me to lose that chicken. And that was my essence and my portal to life, to happiness, to fulfillment, to meaning, to God, to Mashiach, to Geula, to expansiveness, to depth, which is what a piece of chicken can be for a Jewish man after not eating a whole day, let's face it. And he could start laughing and she could start laughing. But what if he would have never acknowledged it? He would have blamed her for her mother, for her sisters, if she would have got on the phone, oh, you're always on the phone. He would have found another hundred reasons because he's not acknowledging the real reason, repressed the real emotion, and the truth could not come out and a part of their relationship dies forever. A part of their relationship dies forever. So now you're going to laugh and say, but it's so stupid. That's the point. We are so stupid. We are, stu- we're not always brilliant, wise. We are sometimes very stupid. A piece of chicken can freak us out. Look how you feel, Minchayim Kipper. You remember you're feeling Minchayim Kipper? You're a big, deep guy, but when you don't eat for a day, the verse Meshuggah. That's what chicken does to us. We don't always live in godless. We sometimes live in katnos. So I'm now very, very upset. You know, I once saw a shmugas, but at a and there was the last piece of sushi. And five rabbis all had their eye on the last piece of sushi. I was one of them. <laughs> but nobody could admit it because we're rabbis. We're not supposed to like sushi. Right? And there was this silent competition. Now I remember the guy who got it. All of us wanted to kill him. Right? We we wanted to kill him, but that's people can go crazy. It's a stupid piece of sushi. Yeah, when you're full, it's stupid. When you're not full, it's Messiah. Now that's that that's part of the human condition. Worse than that is denying it, repressing it, because it doesn't go away. God says, What are you lying to me? What are you flattering me? You're telling me nice things about you? But what if you could share that with your partner with your friend with your god with your rebbe with your with your uh, with your wife with your husband now the relationship goes into that place if not that part of my heart gets closed up and it gets closed up and bigger and bigger and bigger things and exactly the same thing happens with hashem we say it every morning hashem lechol koirov lechol yikru'u bems What is MS? He is close to those who call out. Everybody who calls out. But then there's a special emphasis, those who call out in truth. And truth means truth till the end. Truth till the end. My whole truth. What's the expression in Yerushalmi? God means truth. And with truth, you never try to flatter truth. Now everybody knows the story that contradicts everything I'm saying. You know the story. Well, first I'll tell you the other story that actually conveys this message very beautifully. The Holy Rebbe, a story about two brothers, as I remain, remind myself, two brothers. The Holy Rebbe, Rebbe Limelech of Luzhensk. The Rebbe Rebbe Melech, the author of Noyem Elimelech who's living in Lezhensk in Poland, where he's buried till today. Yardside Chavzayin Adr, I think Tovkuf Memzayin, right? 1887. Alef other Tovkuf Memzayin. Huh? The day, I'm talking the year of his estalkus Tovkuf Memzayin, you'll Google, you'll let me know if I'm wrong. 1887. The Rebbe Reb Melech is once visited by a Chassid who comes to him, day before Yom Kippur, two days before Yom Kippur, he says, Rebbe, this year would you allow me to watch you do Kaparas? So the Rebbe says, how do you do Kaparas? He says, I take the rooster, I hold it in one hand, I take the Sid, I hold it in the other hand, and I say, Bnei Adam, I turn it three times around my head. The Rebbe Rebbe Melech says, I do exactly the same thing. There's really no difference between your kaparis and my kaparis. There's only one difference. You probably are very meticulous about having a white rooster. And I couldn't care less. If it's white, if it's brown, if it's black, that's the only difference between us. He says, Rabbi, I still want to see your kaparis. He says, my kaparis, you will see nothing. But if you want to see a kaparis, there's a Jew who owns a krechma, a tavern, an inn, some distance out of Luzhensk, go visit him and watch his Kaparas. So he comes to this Jew, it's the night of the eve of Erevim Kippur, and there's a bunch of Polish, Ukrainian, Russian peasants, Gentiles, who are intoxicated, inebriated, smashed and drunk, and the Jew is serving them. This is his Parnosa, he has an inn, a tavern where they drink and they eat and some of them sleep. It was known as a kretchma was a source of income for many East European Jews in those years. Finally, midnight comes and the Jew chases them out, some of them nicely, some of them harshly. He gets rid of them and he goes to sleep. And this chassid pays a little money, gets a bed and also goes to sleep. A little before Alois hashachar, a little before dawn break, he makes sure to get up and stay quiet and this Jew wakes up, and he wakes up his wife, and he says, it's time for Kaparas. And he asks his wife to bring him the notebook that is situated on a particular shelf in the tavern, and she brings him the notebook. And the Chassid of the Rebbe Rebbe Melech is listening, he doesn't want to miss a beat. And the Jew opens the notebook, and it records every Aveira, every sin he did during the past year. On this and this day, I miss Shachris. On this and this day, I mean, I miss Kriyashma. I said, Kriyashma late. On this day, I did Shachas without kavana. On this day, I gossiped. On this day, I said something uh, that was not right. On this day, I lied. He goes through every single sin that he did throughout the entire year. He finishes it, and after each sin, he gives a sigh, and when he finishes reading it, he breaks out and sobs. Then he turns to his wife, he says, now bring the second notebook. And she brings him the second notebook and he opens up and he starts reading every miserable thing, every challenge, every difficulty that he endured that year. On this day, his cow dropped dead suddenly and they had no milk and the kids were crying for milk until they could put together a few rubles. Two weeks later, to buy a new cow on this day, his daughter became sick. on this day he was walking with money, and a couple of gangsters beat him up, and he was maimed and wounded and sick in bed for a month and he goes through all the sorrows that he had this year and then he turns to God and he says, "allah I did some sins this year." You also behaved wrongly to me. Last year, I promised you that I'm not going to sin. And I violated my promise. But last year, I asked you to give me all the blessings, a good and healthy year, and you also didn't do it. And you know what? Let's be honest, God. You owe me more than I owe you. I'm looking at the books, and I see. <laughs> you did much worse than I did. But you know what? It's of Yom Kippur. I'm not going to get fussy. I'm not going to get picky. I'm not going to get so nitty gritty. I'm not going to be a petty baby. It's a time for reconciliation. I don't want to go in with a fight. I don't want to go in Tim Kippa with a fight. Let's call it even. Even though it's not true. You forgive me my debt and I forgive you your debt. And he takes both notebooks and he circles them around his head and he says, Zeh Chalifasi, Zeh timurasi. Zekaporasi, and he takes both books and he throws it into the fireplace. And as they're burning, he says, we're all good, we're at peace." Tells his wife, "Yetzaf mezogim and he takes out a lechayim and he makes a sudas mitzvah and he goes a tensel for the reconciliation he made with Yirboynu shalolam. Erevim kippur. He comes back, the chassid comes back to the rebbe de melech. And he says, vadu gizen. tell me what you saw. And he shares the whole experience of Kaparas. And the Reverend Melech says, David HaMelech says this all in Tehillim. In Perik Lamet in chapter 38, David HaMelech says in Tehillim, My sins have passed over my head. Adonai negdecha kol taavosi. God, before you stand all of my cravings, all of my addictions, all of my tivus but but my krechts, my sigh, is also not concealed from you. My sigh versus my addictions, my bad habits, Versus my size. And the Rebbe Melech said, and the whole Pamalja the whole heavenly entourage came to be present for this Jew's kaparis. This is a heart that is alive, a relationship that is authentic, that is real. But he had a brother." Rebbe Reb Zusha, Reb of Annapoli, who was his brother. He lived in Anapoli in the Ukraine. That's where he's buried, near the Mezucha Magid. Passed away, Beis Shvat, Tovkov Samach. Yeah, Reb Marduchai. Samach, I think, 1800. And somebody came to the Holy Magid and said, Rebbe, how do you fulfill the commandment of the Mishnah? You have to thank Hashem for the bad like you thank for the good. So he said, go visit my student, Rebzusha of Anapoli. And the man came to Rebzusha and he was there for a few days. And he asked Rebzusha. And Rebzusha suffered terribly. First of all, he was a copson. He was in dire poverty and he had a lot of challenges and problems. First thing, he could never feed his family, ever. And finally, the Bzusha says, what brings you to my home? And he says, I asked your teacher, how do you thank Hashem for the negative like you thank for the positive? And Abzusha said, why are you here? He said, he sent me to you. He said, you must have not heard what my teacher said. He could have not sent you to me. He says, why not? He says, ich, ich hakeim ol in mein Leben. I never had bad in my life. <laughs> I never had a bad day. I never had any suffering or misery. They say that the old Belzerov, Reb Aaron of Belz, who passed away in 1957, the old Belzerov lost his wife and five children in the Holocaust and the entire family. He survived, his half-brother survived, and his half-brother had a son, and then the father died, who was the present Belzerov Schlitter. And he suffered terribly. And they say somebody once came. I heard this from an old Belzer Chassidim that somebody once came to him on Old Chassid and saw him at the end of the war. And he expressed mitleid. He expressed uh, sympathy for all the suffering, for all the evil that the Belzer of endured. And he said, I never had a bad day in my life. So, take this whole class and delete it but that's exactly the point that's exactly the point the Rebbe Rebzush of Anapali for him the definition of life was intimacy with God and nobody can ever take that away from you you know the story I told you a few times I'm not going to say it today with the pail and the bucket in prison the same idea you know the story girls for the bzusha, what is life? Life is dveikos. And every moment he had dveikos, he had the best life in the world. That was life for him. He didn't have raw. And the market wanted this Jew should understand that there's such a person. Yeah, for him, not getting chicken, <laughs> back to my chicken, it, re- it really was meaningless. But if I come and I say, I'm that person, I'm lying. I'm not a real person. I have a godly soul that is always one with God. I also have an animal consciousness. It's part of the human condition. And if I cut that out of the relationship, there's a part of my truth that is cut out of the relationship. I don't have to worship it and take it seriously. If I'm feeling horrible about that salt and I share it with my spouse or the husband shares it with his spouse, he doesn't have to take it seriously and start breaking windows because she puts salt on the fish. But if he denies his emotions, he denies himself and herself an authentic relationship. And I'll give an example. Somebody goes in for surgery. And the person who's going in for surgery knows that the doctor wants to save his life. The doctor is not evil. And the doctor is not bad. And the doctor is not a sadist. In fact, he's paying the doctor $40,000 to do this. So he doesn't think the doctor is evil. And yet, especially before the days of anesthesia, he's screaming from pain. And when you say, why are you screaming? It's such a good thing. And the answer is in Yiddish, "Asetutve, Shreitman. When it hurts, you scream. Is it possible that there are people who just see destiny? They see the benefit and they're beyond that? Of course there are such people. But I'm not that person. You ever went to your dentist in the olden days before they uh, silenced it, the, before they silenced the before they gave you anesthesia in the teeth, And what if the person who's going into surgery, Khalila, is a child? He doesn't understand what's happening. And the child is screaming. The mother is not going to take away the child because she knows that the child needs this to save the life. But if somebody's going to tell the child, stop screaming, you idiot, it's good. There's something off. The child can't fully understand how it's good. Not only that, the mother is crying, the father is crying, even though they know it's good. Why? Because it hurts. That's why God was upset with the friends of Eif. Let's say you're right. God knows what he's doing. But where is the heart? Where is your empathy? Where is your sensitivity to people? Why do you suddenly become a robot? You become like a lifeless robot. Where is your emotion? Somebody is hurting very, very badly. Just because the surgery has something positive, it doesn't mean there's no amputation, it doesn't mean there's no blood, it doesn't mean the person is not hurting. We don't dance on Tisha B'av, even though the Khurban came from God. The person doesn't dance when they sit Shiva even though God caused the death. It's a pain. Are there people who see in everything the divine? They see the world from a higher place. Of course there are such people. But not everybody. And you know what happens when a child cries? If your child starts crying in the house, what do you do? There's two ways. One is you start crying with him. Right? You start, and you know what happens? He starts laughing. (laughs) The other way is, you start laughing, and he starts crying even more. They come to Eeyore, they couldn't cry with him. All they were telling him was, how bad he is. There was no solace, there was no comfort, as Rashi puts it. There was achzarius, achzar, like a stranger. So how is it by us too? Somebody is suffering. And all people can sometimes do is tell them why it was good, why it had to happen. Whether you're right or wrong. Where's the closeness? Where's the empathy? Appreciate what the person is going through. Now comes the second point of the Malbim. You don't even believe it. You're lying. He is at least speaking his heart. He's giving his truth to God. He has to grow. Everybody has to grow. You're just doing lip service to flatter God because you think God doesn't care for truth. He cares what it looks like and you're going to say the right thing. So in Ganadin, you're going to get, not Ganadin, you're going to get a picture of Ganadin. Because a God of fakeness gives you fake things. You're going to get a picture of everything. Everything is going to be a picture. And that's why, my dear friends, there is really no contradiction here. There's absolutely no contradiction. When somebody is having an emotion, God wants your truth. You don't have to run, you don't have to deny, you don't have to repress. Share it. It's small, maybe. It's primitive, maybe, maybe not. It's coming from your perspective. Of course it's coming from your perspective. Playing lip service, paying lip service, that's not the relationship. Authenticity is where it happens. And yes, together with that, one could know very well that there are reasons, there are purposes, there's destiny, there's a plan, there's a planner that's far beyond my imagination and far beyond my comprehension. Today was Holocaust uh, Memorial Day. So as I was reflecting on this class, I opened up in my files a letter that I once saw that was written by a Rebbe to a Holocaust survivor. Eli Wiesel lost much of his family in Auschwitz, Buchenwald, and he struggled a lot with Judaism after the liberation. He was a boy from Siget, from a Wiesnitzer family, and he had a very elaborate and long correspondence with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. There's a 1965 letter after Pesach. Nissen, from the Lubavitcher Rebbe to Eli Wiesel. A long letter. It's, I think, a seven or eight page letter about the Holocaust, about Auschwitz. Extraordinary letter. But I want to read to you here two or three paragraphs. It's 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 deep you'll also see what a real Yiddish is like. Most people don't hear real Yiddish anymore. So that itself is an advantage. Seherna Yiddish. Not a fake, concocted, false Yiddish. A real Yiddish. And it's part of a whole discussion, but I want to read two or three paragraphs, and I'm going to translate. First, he discusses with Eli Wiesel that when people ask the question, why, it's coming by definition from emuna, from faith. Because if the world is a random place, there's no question why. The Nazis take over, Hitler gains power, and he does what he feels is the right thing to cleanse the world from the vermin and the bacteria of the Jewish people who he despised so deeply. The question that every person, atheist and agnostic and believer alike, deep down say, why? How can it happen? Is a question that's coming from the fact that deep down you feel that the world is supposed to be a just place. Why do you feel that way? It's a mistake. <laughs> the whole world is a mistake. Because deep down, amuna is inherent in the person. That's one point he makes to Ali But then he makes another point, and that is, That in Jewish history, the first person who asked God, "How could you do this?" was the father of Judaism and the founder. The Gemara, the Chazal say, minim. the father of all believers, Avram Avinu, says, Hashaifut mishpat." Will the judge of the entire world behave unjustly? How can he ask such a question? Because he believes there's supposed to be justice. The next one is Moshe Rabbeinu, our first Rebbe. Who asks the question? The Gemara says in Brachos, "Tzaddik v'raloi." Why do good people suffer? Olamah harayosalam hazeh. These are the people who ask the questions. von deswegen I quote, "Hat es nicht abgeschwacht der Munde bei Moshe Rabbeinu und bei alle andere authentische Freigel und Manner?" The question never weakened the faith by Moshe and other authentic. People who questioned and demanded. Other Abba, so at farstak Zeramuna, we may get finned as befeirish by Iyav and euch by Avramavino, it became stronger. Ich glaube, I believe, as hewet mit mir maskem sein. You, Mr. Wiesel, Professor Wiesel, will agree with me, the Rebbe says. Es ist nit gewendstama zufall das, was alle authentische Frege sind geblieben bei Zeramuna, nur es hat gar anders nicht gekennst sein. It wasn't a coincidence that they remained with their faith. It couldn't be any other way. was somebody really asks the question with truth, it's because they care so much about goodness and justice. Such a deep feeling for justice comes only from the conviction that real justice is rooted not only because I feel that way or I understand that way, but because it's the ultimate truth. It's rooted deeper than human logic and deeper than human emotion and therefore it affects you not only logically, but in the core of your reality. If this is the case nach dem als der ganze Zugang von stellende was im After the first outburst of emotion. How could the world be so cruel? The person then must discover that the entire approach of asking a question and trying to understand with your intellectual capacity, that which transcends logic and intellect of the human capacity, has no room. And therefore, after a very profound and revolutionary inner scrutiny and search and conflict, At the end the person says, after everything, I believe, and even stronger, because he realizes it's completely, completely on a different plane. I once heard myself from Elie Wiesel, who was one of the very famous Holocaust survivors, and he said that the first time he went into the Lubavitcher this was in the early 60s or the late 50s, he didn't want to get married, he didn't want to have children, He didn't believe in creating a new Jewish family. And he said that the Rebbe read some of his works in French. And he turned to me and he said, explain to me why you're so angry with God. So Elie Wiesel told the Rebbe, I'm angry with God because I loved him so much. And he betrayed me and he let me down. And the Rebbe said, then what about now? He, I say now, I still am angry with him because I still love him, and therefore I'm so angry with him. And then the Rebbe looked at me and he said, To love God is also to accept that you don't understand him. So I asked him, Can you love God without faith? And he told me that faith had to precede all the rest. Because if the human being was honest about God, he had to understand that just as it's impossible for a little pebble to understand what is happening in his brain, even though the distance between his brain and the pebble is not that far, for the human creation to understand even anything about the Creator is simply it's senseless. If we understand anything, that is the miracle. Finally, I turned to him and I said, Rebbe, How can you believe in God after Auschwitz? I quote Elie Wiesel. The Lubavitcher Rebbe looked at me in silence for a very long moment. His hands were resting on the table. And then he replied in a soft, barely audible voice. And he said to me, How could you not believe in God after Auschwitz? Who do you want me to believe in after Auschwitz? In man? You want me to believe in man after Auschwitz? If there's anything to believe in after Auschwitz, if there's anything left to faith after Auschwitz, if there's any ability for me to hope after Auschwitz, to dream, to love, to trust, can it be in man? It can only be, it can only be in God. So here we can see very well the inner dynamic of Judaism. It never tries to crush, ignore, obliterate emotion. The greatest believers cried and screamed more than anybody else, including Moshe, Avraham, Shmuel, Eliyahu, Yirmiya, Yeshaya, Dovid HaMelech, nonstop. And yet the same Judaism explains to the person this is part of human condition. It's an authentic part of the human condition. And God will never deny it. On the contrary, he will appreciate your truth and despise your lies. And yet together with that, the person could say, I don't understand. I don't know. I can't understand. And I could make peace with the understanding that I really, really don't understand. And there could be meaning. There could be purpose. God is present in the abyss of darkness even when all my logic and my emotions cry out and say, why? How can you do this to your people? How can you do this to innocent people? Eoiv wasn't punished. His friends were. Exact the opposite of what we would think. Because he was real. He was authentic. And Rashi tells us the whole Iev was written for that reason. To teach you about human suffering. Human pain. Perhaps it was Levi who was coming from a place, a very different place, from a place of contemplation, of Yishuv Hadas, of calmness, and failed to appreciate a certain distance. I debated very heavily if I should share this story with you. But I decided to share it with you. It's not a comfortable story, but it's an amazing story. And I knew the man personally, so it's a priceless story. And it is what it is. There was a Jew, his name was Reuven Dunin. Reuven Dunin, was a Jew who lived in Haifa. He was a Chabad Chassid, and with the instruction of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he was a tractor driver. He was a farmer, and he drove a tractor for 50 years. Probably made dozens or hundreds of balay in the red left-wing city of Haifa as he was on the tractor with a big yarmulke pace and a beard, and he was a gishmakiid, very, very sharp. He had a tongue that was rear, as you'll soon see. And this is a story for him. It's, it's He said it, it happened with him, and I'm going to share it with you. He was sitting with a bunch of atheists in Haifa, and he was for bragging with him, he was with them. And they were telling him how stupid he is, how irrational he is, how immature he is for believing in God. That's what he told them. So he said, listen, I'm not a philosopher. I'm a farmer. I deal with animals. I could speak about animals. I can't speak about the big things. I have a question to you. They say, go ahead. He says, on my farm, I have horses, I have cows, and I have deer. They all eat the same stuff. Hay, grass. And I have a question. The deer, when it has to evacuate before it makes its own ashayotzar, it evacuates little pellets. The cow turns out a flat pancake. The horse produces clumps. I ask you a question, my dear friends. Why? They eat the same hay, the same grass. Why such a difference in what they give to the field, how they fertilize the fields and its shape? They look at each other. Anybody ever asked you such a question? They look at each other. You'll forgive me, women. And the main guy, the one who was debating him, says, I don't know. So he looked at him and he says these words. He says, You have no understanding in the excrement of an animal. In God, you're suddenly going to understand? He put it all in perspective. And in many ways, exactly what happens in a good marriage happens in the relationship with God. You don't tell your wife who she is. You don't tell God who he is. But you share your emotions, whatever they feel like. And that doesn't weaken a relationship. It intensifies a relationship. Even as you know that there's a very deep part of you that remains one, that remains loving, that remains trusting, and that remains wholesomely one with its source because it's a chilek aleikam How do I finish this class? So I decided to finish the class with a song. Who is it by? It's a song that was composed by Rebbe Yitzchak of Baditchev. Levi Yitzchak of Baditchev was a lover of the Jewish people and a lover of God. We talk about sites. He passed away in Tishrei after Sukkos, I think Tovkov Ayan, 1809, in Baditchev, which is a city in the Ukraine. He was a student of the Magit who was the successor of the Balsham Tev. Yitzchak of Baditchev composed a song. The name of the song was Adudala. You know what a doda is? How do you translate? Like a love song, a, lo- a song of daidi, Anila Daidi, a song of affection, a song of romance, a do. Also, the theme of the song is the word "do, you. The song is in Yiddish. But for those who don't understand Yiddish, I'm going to try to translate the song. I want you to listen to the song, because here you have the, what I think is the ultimate expression of the divine soul, of the neshama, of the Jewish experiences, a Jewish experience in its ultimate oneness and intimacy with Hashem in all of life. This is how the song goes. Forgive me. I'm not going to quit my day job. I'm not a cantor or a singer, but I'm just going to share the song with you. (officenai) Reboi noy shalom, Reboi noy shalom, Reboi noy shalom. Ich will Adud Ale dir spielen. Riboi noy shalom, ich will Adud zu dir singen. Oh noem soakori boy no shalloilom. Vio no loyem soakori boy Avu velichdir dirgefinen riboy no shalloilom. Unavu velig dirnishgefinen riboy no shalloilom. I'm going to add, Where can you be found, Master of the Universe? Where can you not be found, Master of the universe? As my Mata
0: do, Mizrach do, Mairav do, Tzaphon do, 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 do do, 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 do,
1: do, When up is you and down is also you. East is you and west is you.
0: North is you and south is you. You, 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 you. Du, 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 du. Asse gut ist doch du, Chalila wieder du, Und as du ist doch gut, Du, 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 du. Do
1: If it's good, it's you. And if it's not, oh so you. And if it's you,
0: it's good. You 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 i du do du do
1: have a wonderful week. to you. Kaddish. Rabbi Mendel Zubelberg would say Kaddish, especially after his mother, who was an Auschwitz survivor. I
2: think He said it, was, spoke it out in a second, so what's, what's traveling more by Levi?
1: So I think by Levi, word, it was with Yishuv Hadass, in other words.
2: Even though there was a row, there was no rain. Right. So still, he would, but he was in a place of Yishebidah, so he didn't. Have Achayra, right
1: to speak like that. It was a chesaron, and uh, that it wasn't from just his pain. That's number one. Somebody else suggested that uh, that uh, he was speaking about Hashem instead of himself or the people.
2: But you're up there. By, but, the but, by, uh, but you
1: see, the same person said that Moshe did it and Chana did it. And Eliyahu Anovi did, and Hashem was moider to them. <laughs> They're doing the wrong thing. So you see that this is a different mahalach. Even Taka, by Parshish we, to, we said you're mahaled after my Midas. So interesting Medrash Rabbah. It says after that, V'idabre lekimel Moshe, V'yoyimere lov, Ani Hashem. Yeah? So the Medrash Rabbah says that Midas Hadin wanted to be P'geye in Moshe because he was so uh, harsh. And Hashem said, no, no, no. and Tzachan, he's taking himself, and Tzachan for my kinder, huh? Yeah, he, he cares for my children. He's screaming because my kids are suffering. Ani Hashem. This is not a, a reason. This is not negative. This is full full of compassion. So even over there also, the hero wasn't stopped. Was, Moshe uh, had sveikas and It came from his tremendous Avis If you don't believe that there's a God, so who do you have, Tainus, huh? Yeah, Lama Lama Ari, so what do you want from me? Gates of paro. Yeah, yeah. Why come for the money? For If there's more, if there's real amun shleitman. If there's no real amun
2: fuck, it happen.
1: Was, was accident happen. It's my problem. What do you want? So yeah, Keri. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, hatslachir Abba. Nice to have you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Is that is that wrong? the time
1: Yeah, it's wrong, because there must be a to a I I the somebody
2: living in
1: our generation. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say anything about but must be there. not suffering.
2: Yeah das
1: ist Wir Ich denke, hier, ja. So in ich 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 Jahren von Goulos. ich jetzt.
2: ich ich
1: ich 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 so that's what I'm saying to you. It's and they blame themselves because it's And it's wrong. They don't have to. in all true, so, kommt von der Jetzahara. Man sagt, dass sie er zu Menschen, so <much> It's Menschen. Aber sie ist nicht, nicht auf die Schaffer. Sie nicht richtig
2: Sie
1: <much> A that the was set tots, so that epic saninian in
2: that right for a person to walk? Sagavis, Sagavis,
1: Sagavis, 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 the journey of another no Shammah is not the journey the man for of of so, so, uh, No, no. I don't the the so love the the first is the in And the the was er like that,
2: then a da
1: sein daf a musakenzan. Musalawut so gitol mit details so so you always 20 jor nachdam um sie gefunden nicht was sein. Aber das meint dass and they don't go. The Swiss ja, don't know who yeah. 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 they are. The Swiss But Yeah? They not are. it's not people who the whole life lives with the guilt. they are not a by what they have to the child, the child, the man, the child, the child, the They are not schulded by the child. They terrible situations. the to they to a They to a a And he was <laughs> able to get the message from the
2: people
1: who were able to get the message people who were able to the to he said, Allah has been in of the He in if someone else has <laughs> a big arm, they But it was. It was a big. It effect. It was a big effect. It was a big effect. It was a big effect. It was It Soft call soft. No yeah and so at, at the end of the day we say I really don't know I don't know it's mysterious. I cry, I believe in you I have a trust I'm going to tell you how much I'm in pain about you. I'm gonna come back to you kind. Die Mama gibt ihm eine, gibt ihm eine, eine Patsche oder ein Punishment und er läuft zurück zu
2: ihm.
1: Ja, weil er weiß, dass sie kommt von Ava. Aber das ist mir, dass sie nicht zu zweien hat, nicht zu you know. ah? ja. ja. Schamli, der ja. Volus- Klaus- ja, du, du hast das gemacht. aber auch das, was ich was Und danach ist da was bei ihm flackert, der Munde. Und, und, er sagt,
2: als,
1: nee, das ist ein, das ist ein ja. Aber von er fragt nicht Er versteht, dass er nicht schreibt, er fragt keine und, 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 er kennt, er leben mit dem. Er kennt ja. er leben. Er wissen, wo er ist. You know, das ist dann Uh, yeah a lot of people lost faith uh, yeah 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 a lot of people lost faith and lost hope and how could you blame it's impossible what they saw what people saw from Italy Primo Levi from Italy even Wiesel in the early works of night he writes very
2: funeral Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, a lot of people like that. Listen, they saw the unthinkable. What they saw, what the Germans did. Huh? What That's what the Rebbe told Wiesel. Women willst du so glauben? And a Mensch, the Deutschen sind ein Gewinn. Übermenschen, Supermen, Nietzsche's people. The Deutschen sind ein Spitz von Kultur. They're the greatest dimension. Scientists, mit, mit poets, mit philosophers, mit, huh? art artists. Yeah, they had pets. They were romantics. They were the, the spitz of culture. Germany was considered the most PhDs came from Germany. The most PhDs came from Germany. Look what happened. The worst barbarity in human history came from Germany. It's the Chzorius that they had.
2: How it happened?
1: I'm not I'm not so I'm not bothered by that question. I know how it happened. The Germans are very obedient and the propaganda against the Jews was unbelievable. And anti Semitism is unbelievable. And when you have the combination of everything together, it works.
2: I think they, they were super cultural and,
1: and one of the things they probably not stand notion of God. The Jews the yeah. Notion. yeah. That's what anti Semitism is. Hitler said that. Yeah, the Bala and the Balachritz. The Bala and the Balachritz. He said clearly, he said clearly.